0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology changes lives in our world. These are real lives and real people who are touched by these stories, and we're honored to be able to tell them. I am Jennifer White. I am the co-owner and director of bright futures families which is uh, also colorado surrogacy new mexico surrogacy and montana surrogacy and i get to do that along with my sister ellen trackman and uh, get to deal with big family uh, dynamics every day come on ellen come on bring the family dynamic
0: uh, and I'm Ellen Trackman. I get to boss around by my big sister on a daily basis. Uh, I'm also an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law. I write a weekly column called I Want to Put a Baby in You for the website Above the Law on assisted reproductive technology legal issues uh, and love um, running a service agency as well as a law firm. Today, I'm super excited to talk to a psychologist specialized in early childhood education, um, Patience Bluskin, which I learned from her website. Patience is, in fact, her actual real name at birth, which is amazing and fitting. I also learned from her website that at the age of six, she learned how to do laundry, which is especially amazing because at the age of almost 25, I have yet to learn to do laundry. Okay. 25. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> 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 um yeah okay so before we dive into our interview i did want to provide our number if anyone wants to provide feedback or for, to join into our interviews at some point our uh, you can reach us at 303-997-1903 again that number is 303-997-1903 and here we go we are here with patience Bleskin, who is basically superwoman uh she's a developmental psychologist she um Spends her her career helping and supporting and educating parents and children and families. Uh, she was a founder of the Family Room. She also has four children herself, and um, she went through a gestational carrier journey that we want to share and talk about
2: today. Welcome, Patience. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share my story. Okay.
1: Tell us, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself and then maybe if you want to kind of segue into starting and talking about you know, the beginning of your journey and, and how everything started.
2: Sure. So um, like Ellen said, I work with families every day, supporting families and helping them reach their goals. So for me, becoming a gestational carrier and helping a family, a couple have a family was a very natural progression for me. Um, it was something that I had thought about for many, many years. Um, I originally sort of met the first, um, person that I knew who was doing it for someone else about 15 years ago. Um, and at the time my children were little and I only had two of them. And, and, um, and now my kids are grown up, uh, not quite out of the house yet, but, my oldest is almost 18, then I have a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And a few years ago, I was feeling like it was the right time. It was something where in my family, um, the ages of my kids and where I was at, that it was something that I was ready to, to do. Um, and I had had a client that I had worked with who um, had had a really hard birth with her first child um, to the point where carrying a baby again would have been life-threatening for her. And so I had offered to her like, hey, I think I might be able to do this. And they ended up going with someone else um, just because of our personal relationship that we had, which I totally understood and was like, great, I get it. Don't need to apologize to me for, (laughs) for your choice in that Um, but that really was like, okay, I'm really in a place where I'm ready to do this and and can move forward. And um, that's how I started. And this isn't particular
0: really to your journey, but something that I learned from you years ago that I did not realize until this conversation that we personally had, which was how hard it is to qualify to be a gestational carrier. And you were the first person who told me the 7% number. Do you
2: do you remember what that? Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, it was a very very low number of um, women who actually qualify to be gestational carriers of the number in the agency that I worked with. You know, they're like get four hundred applications a month, I guess, for gestational carriers, and teeny tiny like between four and seven percent actually qualify.
0: And, and that's amazing because that's, that's already self-selected down, <laughs> that people who are raising their hand willing to do this. And of those people who have the amazing, generous heart and ability to say, yes, I want to do this, only 7% can qualify to go forward. Um, and I, I was amazed to hear that, and I thought, that can't be right. But it, it I've definitely learned more that it's it's right. It's it's a low, low number. Um, but you, you were one of those people, so you were within the 7%.
2: Yes. So, you know, and I was a little bit nervous because I'm older, you know. I'm going to be 40 this year.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, Some of us are older than you, so.
2: (laughs) Yes, I know. But you're not trying to be a gestational carrier. so And and 40 isn't old, right? It's just in terms of carrying babies. It's on the older side. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to qualify to do it at, at all. And so I was, you know, I got started and going through the process to qualify and qualified. So I was really excited that it was something I was really going to be able to do.
1: So how did it work from there? So you qualified. Did they present you with profiles? Did you pick your intended parents where you you asked basically given one profile? How, how did your process work there? Because I know every, every agency in the United States is different in how they deal with that.
2: Yeah. So the agency that I worked with starts by providing um, gestational carrier providers to couples and families. Um, and then if they decide they want to talk to us, then they send the profile to us. And then I get to approve that and decide if there's somebody that I want to move forward with meeting.
0: Did you approve the first
2: profile? I did approve the first profile. The first profile was of, um, a, same-sex couple, two guys in New York, um, and they were lovely and wonderful. Um, They were both very in the medical field, which was a little bit of a concern for me Um, just because I work with families. I've attended births. I'm very familiar with the birth world and know what my options are (laughs) and how to protect my own health and safety. And um, they're... Need for the medical profession to be more in control of the process is what prevented us from being able to match
0: oh interesting yeah. um, was it specific could specific terms that made it not a fit?
2: Well the big thing was for me in terms of need for um, health uh, match was that I if I had a baby presenting breach right butt or feet first, to attempt a vaginal delivery first and not just go straight to a C-section. We're lucky enough here where I live that we have three OBs that will deliver breech babies. And I didn't want to be that to be the thing. And so while he, they were like, okay with, well, if as long as the doctors say it's okay, but if at any point the doctors say you need a C-section, will you do whatever the doctors say? And for me, it was, if it's medically necessary and anybody's life is in danger, right. absolutely, of course. Absolutely. If it's just because labor's taking longer than they want it to. And no. that, that wasn't good <laughs> enough, I take it that. So, that, that wasn't good enough for yeah. them.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. And that's, um, I've seen certainly items around birth and kind of ex- expectations will will break a match. So, it's interesting to hear that. Mm-hmm. So, that yeah. match
1: broke then. Yeah, I was going to say. So, wait, so that, ha- that broke. So, what happened?
0: Next then. Right. Well, and sorry, but quickly, was that like in a legal
2: agreement or you just had preliminary discussions? Preliminary discussions. Yeah. It was just like we hadn't even decided to move forward with the legal stuff yet. Yeah. And, you know, the agency that I worked with was like, we are so glad that you are talking about this now because it's much harder when the gestational carrier isn't vocal about these preferences or doesn't realize that they need to be and then they end up pregnant and now we're having this discussion and we can't go back and it can make it really hard so yeah
1: we see that too so yeah definitely it's all we we appreciate people sometimes gestational carriers think that they should that they have some reason to fear being honest and open about these things and I always tell people no no we really appreciate honesty and openness it's very important in fact
0: So how did it go breaking, breaking the match? Was everyone, was it, was it sad?
2: Was it, it was fine. It was sad. I mean, they were like, we love you guys so much. You know, they, she was, they were like saying how much they loved me and, and thought I was fabulous and really wanted it to work, but that that was just not something that they were comfortable with. And I'm glad that we both could say that. Right. Because I think that it, it would have been hard. Um, going through a pregnancy. Not that anything would have come up that would have been necessary, necessary you know, where any of that would have been an issue per se, but if it had been, it could have been really uncomfortable.
0: Right. I also feel this is a good example where there's a lot of concern about surrogacy being exploitation of women. And this is kind of a, a data point that actually, no, women have the chance to stand up for themselves and um, have a lot of determination on how things go and can, can break a match
2: that isn't a good fit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you're presented another profile. So, yeah. So then they sent me, you know, another profile of a couple that they had who had approved my profile and wanted to talk to me. And they were this lovely couple in California and, um, this time a a man and a woman couple. And, um, I thought they looked fantastic. Um, His mother used to actually be a midwife. So on that front, I knew we were probably going to ideologically be in line. Um, And we set up a video chat meeting.
0: Great. Awesome.
2: Yeah. And so then we got to talk and share and get to know each other a little bit. And I think we were probably on for like 45 minutes to an hour. And the agency was there facilitating that and asking questions of each of us to sort of, you know, make sure that bases were covered of important things that needed to happen. And, um, you know, the agency recommended that we take, you know, a day to think about it before responding, but, um and I did. I just waited until the morning and I was like, I love them. They're fabulous and, you know, they got back to me and said like 20 minutes after they told me they wanted to. So
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I assume from there you kind of you went through all the medical process and the typical, you know, all of the screening and how did your actual relationship develop during during the nitty-gritty points through there?
2: Um it was Fabulous. I mean, we once we got, you know, contact information for each other and could access each other personally, we emailed, we talked on the phone. Um, when I went out to do screenings, we met up every time. I went to their house. They, we went out to dinner. We spent as much time whenever I was there as was possible to spend together. Um, and it was a very comfortable Relationship from the beginning for both everybody, my husband and I, both of them with both of us. It just it was a very easy, comfortable, amazing friendship that developed very quickly. That's fantastic.
1: So I, I do want to kind of warn people, you know, who are listening, especially if they they feel a little triggered by things like this, that um, we're going to talk about the actual transfers. And the unfortunate spoiler at the end is that they were not successful and none of them were successful. So I, I just want to warn everybody who's listening in case that's uncomfortable for them that they they might want to not listen to this episode and continue onward. Um, so patients, let's kind of start talking about the actual transfer process. Um, tell us about the your the, the first transfer and how that went.
2: Yeah. So it was amazing. You know, when I first started talking to the agency and getting in the process, I was like, what's the timeline for this? And she's like, if everything goes right, it's nine to 10 months. And we were literally like having the first transfer right on time for that. So it was literally like nine to 10 months after I first started the screening process to when we were doing the first transfer. So we all just felt like, oh, this is so beautiful. It's so perfect. Everything's lining up so well. It's just exactly how it's supposed to be. You know, all the stars are lining up and it was wonderful. And, you know, my husband went out and supported me and we went and um, they met us at the Um, clinic for the transfer and we went back and did the transfer and it was a perfect beautiful transfer of one embryo and I was of course totally like geeking out over the whole thing um you know, because of how the process goes with the, the ultrasound and them watching everything happen and making sure and looking at the embryo and checking to make sure that it transferred. I was like totally geeking out over the whole thing. So, um, wow. Did they have a video screen showing the embryo go in? I've, yeah. I've heard of that. So- yep. <clears throat> yeah. So they show the embryo in the um, lab across the way and then they bring it in. And they watch it on the ultrasound the whole time to make sure that it goes as far back into the uterus as possible. And then you stay there while they take it back to double check and make sure that the, the embryo has actually left the tube and isn't stuck in there somehow. Um, and then I laid there, I think it was like 15 minutes, and with an extremely full bladder, because they want your bladder pushing that uterus as far forward as possible. Um, so s- lay there about 10 minutes and then went up to go to the bathroom. And then we were done and um, we went back to the hotel and the couple came with us. And we, I just laid there <laughs> for the, d- the day um, and we got food and talked and just had a good time. Um, and then we left. I flew out the next morning to come home. So and then, of course, the wait happens right
1: the ten day wait. I was gonna say so. So talk about the, the yeah. ten day wait. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that's so excruciating to just like wait and wait and wait and be so nervous and to wait and of course, like most of us who do this, we do pee stick tests because we can't wait. Um, did you do that? I, I did. I did one four days in, and it was so positive. It was. Did you tell your intended parents? I did. Yes, I sent them a picture. I was like, "This looks very promising," um, and so we were very excited. And you know, it's interesting because the the intended mother was not like she was more reserved than the rest of us were. Um, in the process, she wasn't letting herself get too excited, but the rest of us were. Um, and so we went and did. Um, blood tests the first one came back it was a good positive number and then two days later we went back and it had doubled and so it was right where we wanted it to be it was super super exciting and everything was going really really well and what was interesting is I wasn't feeling pregnant yet but I was like it's so early I wouldn't really expect to be pregnant feeling it yet um but with your your own your own
0: four pregnancies did you feel really pregnant
2: yeah super pregnant right away even before like you know with my own pregnancies i almost knew like conception at you know, I was like oh, i'm pretty sure i'm pregnant today um and and could just know i just knew So, you know, but this is a whole different thing. And the hormones make you feel pregnant even before the transfer anyway. So it's really hard to tell and to determine what you're feeling is just hormonally produced or pregnancy induced. Um, So then we scheduled the ultrasound for um, what would be gestationally like five and a half weeks, which is early. And it's, it was a tricky because I'm out here and there, out there and my care is being managed from a clinic in San Francisco. And then they're, you know, having me, um, do ultrasounds where I live and it. So finding a place to do it and, and having that all go was an interesting process, but we figured it out. And so we scheduled the ultrasound and, the reason I bring that up is because where I went to go to the ultrasound and they're like, why are they having you come now? It's way too early. We're not going to be able to see much. <laughs> <It's> really early. <laughs> um, and so we went to the ultrasound and this was Wednesday. And I remember what day it was. It was the first Wednesday in November because it was the day after the election. <sighs> That we went to the ultrasound. So everyone, we were like excited to be going, but we were sort of feeling the repercussions of the election as well. So it was a bittersweet morning. Um, And we went to the ultrasound and I video chatted them in. And we did um, the ultrasound and they saw exactly what they expected to see, a beautiful sac with a little embryo in there, but we didn't detect a heartbeat. Um, and the embryo tech or the ultrasound tech doc was like, I wouldn't expect to see one yet to be able to, it's so early. So, um, but we were happy. We were like, yay, that's what we were expecting. Um, come back in. I think we were coming back in two weeks to do a repeat. And, um, so we were all just very excited and, and looking forward to doing that. And then, um, the next day, so the Thursday that evening, I started to have some bleeding and it wasn't a lot. It was just a little bit. And so, you know, that's not totally uncommon. So I called,
0: Were were you worried? Were you thinking like, Oh, this could be normal.
2: I was thinking it's probably just a response to having all of everything that's been going on to my body, right? It was just like, I've had an old, you know, transvaginal ultrasound yesterday and, you know, things moving forward. Sometimes it can happen early in pregnancy. And so I wasn't that concerned about it, but I was like, I need to let everybody know that this is happening. Um... So I called the um, the clinic and I said, hey, this is happening. And he's like, well, just kind of watch it. If it gets worse, I want you to go to the ER. If it kind of is, stays mild and, you know, looking like older kind of blood, not bright red, then, you know, just hang out and we'll wait for the ultrasound in two weeks. So um, it was. You know, the next couple of days, just light bleeding off and on. It it would stop and then I'd have a little bit of spotting and it would stop. And I was like, okay, I'm not really that worried. I'm just going to watch it. And then it was Saturday morning, I'm trying to remember time-wise, or maybe it was Sunday. Anyway, it was the weekend because I went to the ER. I woke up and there was just copious amounts of blood when I woke up. Oh, no. And I was Ugh. like, oh, darn it. <laughs> So I went to the ER and they did an ultrasound and confirmed that, yes, it was no longer a viable pregnancy.
0: And how did, how do you feel? How did everyone react? How did you have a, how
2: did you talk with the intended parents? Uh, Well, I called the clinic first and I was like, this is what's happened. Here's what my, um, my numbers are from the blood test. And, you know, I do you want a copy of the ultrasound? And they're like, no, (laughs) based on the numbers. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's not a viable pregnancy. And I actually had to work that day. So I was with clients that day and didn't have time to call the intended parents right away. So I was working and I was actually really grateful because the clinic called the intended parents and gave them the news I didn't have to. And then the intended parents called me that afternoon and we cried and cried <laughs> um, on the phone together. Wow. Well, how was work? Were you able to just compartmentalize and hold it together I, or? I did. I was for the most part, not that I didn't, you know, go to the bathroom and break down a little before I had to go be present with clients again. But it was sort of nice to have that distraction to not just go be a puddle on the floor all day, Um, which I totally wanted to do. But um, so, so that was the first transfer and how that went. And so they said, you know, stop all of the hormones. We're going to, you know, you're going to keep bleeding, you're going to expel. And that was an intense process. I was surprised by how very real the birthing of what had been there was um, in terms of, you know, cramping and, and bleeding and tissue release. And there was definitely a, um, it was about a week later, from, from then that, um, like I birthed all the tissue and everything. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's really intense. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely not something that they tend to talk about. Did the clinic talk to you about that, that that might happen or that would happen?
2: Well, they definitely said like, you're going to, you know, have to get rid of all of it. So you're going to have some really intense bleeding, but there's definitely not a discussion around like, this is going to feel like birth. (laughs) And it definitely did feel that way. It was very similar to, I mean, obviously not the same, because it's not a whole human being that's being born. It's just a lot of tissue. Um, But there was, you know, waves of cramping, just like contracting, and then more would be lost. So I was back and forth um, from my couch to my bathroom all night long that night that it happened. It was very intense. Wow, um, wow. So I assume that you know
1: after that happened, you took at least a little bit of time and let your body recover before you started to have conversations about where things would go from there?
2: Well, we did and we didn't. So we went back into a cycle as soon as we could. So obviously we had to wait for my body to clear that out, um, balance, and then have another cycle. But as soon as I had my next period, we started the next cycle. So in January, we started the next cycle. Okay.
1: So talk to us about that. I mean, I, I I kind of assume that everybody got back into their, you know, positive, happy places. This is going to be great. But, but what conversations happened, you know, even through that time and how was everybody feeling?
2: So there, we definitely were feeling the loss of it, but we were also very much like, okay, this was our glitch in this process. Like everything's been running so smooth and this is our one sort of Bummer, and we're going to move forward, and um, we're going to be really excited about this. And there, what the one conversation that shifted that did come up between um, transfer one and two was the intended parents' desire now to transfer two embryos, which was not what we had originally planned.
0: And that can, that's also, can be a really big issue, even at the forefront with matching intended parents to gestational carrier. Um, And what was your stance going into it? And how did you feel at that point, knowing that you'd already had this one, one loss?
2: So part of me was, I was very torn going in because I was like, I want to give them the best chance here, but I also knew in my own space that. Doing having twins, carrying twins, birthing twins was not something I was interested in at all. I have seen, I've seen twin birth, I know the risks of it, all of the difficulties that it is on for everybody, for babies, and for the woman giving birth. And so, It wasn't just about not wanting to do twins because I didn't want to deal with it. It was wanting to make sure that the babies on the other side coming out were as healthy as they could possibly be, and twins don't really afford for that as well. Um, so I was very, very torn about it and they were lovely. The intended parents were really lovely in, you know, expressing what they wanted, but then really saying it's up to you and we'll go with whatever you decide. And so I did a ton of research. I went on the center for disease control websites and pulled numbers and, um, looked at it. And I brought those two, um, the doctor, you know, I had to go out a week before the second transfer for a lining check. And we sat down and I talked with the doctor and was like, you know, I need to talk through this. Convince me that two is better than one. And he couldn't. <laughs> um But what but his stance was in favor of two. It was in favor of two. He was like given Her, the age she was when the embryos were harvested. That's a horrible way to say that. Um, But when the eggs were and the embryos and the fact that they hadn't tested them and all of those things, he was like, you know, really our best chance is to do two in all of this. And I was like, well, given the numbers, it's more successful if we do one, especially on the second transfer. So I really got... And he, he he must have disagreed with that, right? No, not from a statistical standpoint. He didn't. And he's like, mm. you know, more... But he thought from this situation. Right. He was like, for this particular situation, I think two is better. Yeah. Um, but no, he couldn't argue with the numbers because I had them right in front of him. <laughs> so he couldn't disagree with that. and it And we had a really interesting conversation about like the process of where this is all going in terms right. of um, uh, embryos and numbers and transfers of fresh versus frozen, because with testing now, almost everybody is doing testing and doing frozen transfers. No, very few people do fresh anymore. So, you know, and that was me geeking out again over the... <laughs> and these transfers were all frozen, but no testing done to the embryos. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And I d- don't remember why they opted not to test, um, but they they didn't. So that's what we had. Um, so we went out or I went into the second transfer feeling totally 100% confident that this was going to work and it was going to be great and it was going to happen. And um, I didn't have any doubt that the transfer was going to take and that we were going to be pregnant and it was going to move forward. And I, and, and it didn't take, that was a failed transfer.
0: So this time you didn't even get to like the pregnancy, the 10 day waiting,
2: did that, that happened, but then it didn't show positive. Is that. It didn't. Right. Exactly. The numbers came back. My, um, Mm HCG levels were zero. And You probably knew pretty quickly since
0: you said before you were
2: testing like you took a
0: home test at four or five days. Did I assume you did the same this time and it just wasn't showing positive, yeah.
2: I did and it wasn't showing positive, but I didn't totally like dismiss it as a possibility that I could have a negative P test and still be pregnant. But it wasn't it didn't feel the same as quite the same um, comparatively, but I was still like, but I don't know. (laughs) Sure. But yeah, the P test had come back. So when the blood test came back, it was sort of like, okay, well that didn't take. Bummer.
0: So after two times at this point, do you still have that positive attitude or are you feeling more reserved going into another transfer?
2: Um, I'm starting to feel more reserved, but still hopeful, um, and still ready to move forward and try again. Like we, there was no trepidation from any of us that we wanted to keep trying, um, and move forward. And so we did, we tried again this
1: time. I. How long did it, how long was it between, sorry, yeah. it took.
0: Yeah, it's also curious. About that. Attempt two
2: was January. When was attempt three? So well the the we started the new cycle for the second transfer in January, and the first the second transfer happened the first week of February. So then we waited, took me off the hormones, waited for my cycle, and so then the third transfer was scheduled for mid April.
1: Okay. Yeah. So the third transfer then, how did, how, how was everybody feeling going into this?
2: So going into this at this point now, because they had wanted the two last time and I had pushed back going into the third transfer, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to agree to two because I wanted to give them the best chance possible. Um, that That's a huge shift. Yeah. And it was a tricky, hard one for me. I was very nervous about it. I was very nervous moving forward. And I was like, and, you know, my husband and I had conversations. He's like, you know, this time you're going to get pregnant with two, and now you're going to have twins. <laughs> and I was like, well, at least we'll have something. <laughs> um, but it was hard to make that decision and to move forward. And I was nervous about it. I um I can't say that I was really super excited about the potential of carrying twins, Um, but I was willing to do that because of the journey that we'd had so far, and I wanted to really make it show and do everything that I possibly could to make it work, and that was one more thing that I could do. And so we went forward and, you know, it was similar. They added in some extra hormones and extra injections that I hadn't done previously to just, again, like give it everything the best chance of um, sticking and leading to a viable pregnancy. And we transferred two and, you know, he was like, that's the most perfect, beautiful transfer I've ever done. And so we were feeling really good about it. We um I went after that transfer, we actually went to the intended parents' house and we hung out and just spent time and then um then our flight was like super delayed going home and we ended up being at the oh no. airport for like 10 and a half hours. Oh so not joyful (laughs) um but we made it home in time to get the kids to school in the morning um just barely but we we um had the 10-day wait I did pee on a stick it came back positive so I was really happy Um, the numbers came back way higher than they came back the first time. So yeah, I was like, okay, does this mean twins or does it just mean a viable pregnancy? And I was hoping for a good viable pregnancy and feeling really happy about it. And the numbers, um, more than doubled two days later and it was wonderful and we were really happy. And we scheduled the ultrasound again for about the five and a half week mark and, three days before the ultrasound was scheduled, I started bleeding again. And I can't tell you the, in the bathroom finding that just heartbreak that, that happened in that moment. And it
0: wasn't just barely like you, you knew.
2: Well, I was hopeful that it was maybe just normal, you know, and I called and everyone's like, you know, it's, it can happen. It can be normal. We're just gonna proceed and wait and see and go to your ultrasound. And, um, and we moved the ultrasound up a day so that I could get in sooner. And we went and it was interesting because it wasn't a clear ultrasound. I It was not what we wanted to see, you know, I was hoping I would be like, there they are. Everything's fine. There's at least one. It's all fine. And it was, Hmm, this is weird. Um, but it wasn't a absolutely lost hope. There was some things that the ultrasound tech saw that were like, you know, it's so early. Let's give it another week and see what's happening. So they sent the report to, you know, the clinic in California and he called me and said, stay on your hormones. Let's wait a week and check back again. So I stayed on the hormones and the bleeding actually stopped. So I was really excited, um, thinking, okay, that was just whatever it was and things are moving forward and progressing. And the IPs and I were talking this whole time and, you know, all the feels that we were having and the hopefulness and the trepidation and everything. And so then we went into the next ultrasound and they knew when we were going in and I let them know that I would include them if I could. And the heading into that ultrasound, I was like, I can't have them on the phone if this is bad news. Yeah. Uh. So I'm going to wait to call them into this until I know what it is. Um, and if it's good news, I'll be super excited to call them in and have them see and 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 it'll be wonderful. But we went in and there was, I mean, I've seen enough ultrasounds and especially now in this process, seeing enough ultrasounds. I looked at it and I was like, there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. oh. No. And did, I didn't need to wait to, for, the, for them to tell you. No, I didn't need for them to wait. I could, I knew. Yeah. I was like, there's nothing there. Um, and of course that's what she told me too. She's like, there's nothing here. <laughs> nothing here. There's lots and lots of tissue, you know, she's like, your uterus is beautiful. Thanks. And yeah. And there's nothing here. So um we got I called the the parent, the intended parents, and I was a wreck. I broke down. What a hard phone no call to make. <laughs> yeah. Um and so of course we were all heartbroken and super, super sad and um mourning and grieving. And then of course you know, this time around, it was a little bit wasn't quite as intense as the first um, miscarriage. There wasn't as much tissue, but there still was lots, and it was still a, a process of of birthing all of it and getting rid of all of it. Wow!
0: Which you had you didn't have to do a, a DNC. That all happened naturally.
2: It all happened naturally. I did have to do the the saline ultrasound in between the after each loss to make sure. But um, yeah, my body was able to just get rid of everything on its own. Yeah. So then I called the agency and I was like, what now? Because <laughs> we only contracted for three, you know, that we were committed to doing. It's like, how do we move forward? Do we have to create another contract? I totally anticipated us trying again they had two more embryos um I figured we would would move forward um and she's like you know they might opt to move forward with donor eggs and and get new embryos before they move forward but we the agency and I both anticipated that we were going to keep trying yeah yeah and then um The intended mom was coming out actually to Colorado where I live for a retreat. Um, And so this was May, mid-May. And so she came by and um, my house and met my kids and we hung out. And then that's when she told me that they were going to be done trying through a gestational carrier.
1: So what did they do instead
2: so they had the two more embryos, so they wanted to move forward um, and save those to see if she could use those. So she um, had to go through some surgery and some change the medications and do some things before she could attempt it um, to use those. And so they opted to do that and... Um, I just talked to her a couple of weeks ago and found out that it was it failed. The transfer failed. Oh no, it's horrible.
0: Horrible, but not surprising, given that it didn't work with you with a a healthy,
2: healthy history,
0: healthy uterus.
2: Um, Yeah, and so and the agency was sort of surprised that they were going to try that. They're like, "Hmm." given that you, we couldn't get you pregnant. Um with the rigorous screening that we put surrogates through (laughs) the likelihood that, that her embryos are viable at all is probably really, really low. Um, and so, you know, it's, I'm so heartbroken for them. Um, because I, they're such amazing people and I wanted this for them so badly. And, um, and, you know, they're looking into adoption options and, and they're still planning on becoming parents in one way or another. Um, but you know this journey for them is over. And so then of course, my next question was, so what now for me? Can I try again with someone else? And they're, the agency was so lovely. They're like, we're going to Take this and as a group talk with all of the caseworkers and see what everyone thinks. She's like, but I doubt, given this history, that a couple would ever pick you. That's
1: that's hard. It's hard to hear, especially when Again. you've had your own successful pregnancies and you know, been through all of that from that perspective.
2: Yeah.
0: And another sense is so unfair. Yeah. Right. Because it's likely embryo
2: quality, right. nothing to do with you. Right. Which is what I, you know, they said over and over and over again, you're amazing. We love you. You're such like the perfect person to do this. You have the right support system. You have the right knowledge. (laughs) You know, you're exactly the person that is so perfect to do this. Like we would love to be able to match you again. And we're like, we just don't think that we would be able to like, we just, nobody's going to pick you not because of you, but because of this history now. And that's when I was started to get angry about the process. Whereas before I was just like, this is the story. And then then I was like, now I'm being robbed of being, I've been robbed of being able to do this and have this experience because of what happened. And then that is when I really started to understand the journey of these families that go through infertility issues and what their experience is. And saying, this isn't how my supo- story was supposed to go. This wasn't supposed to be my story. And I said those words out of my mouth. And it was like I had a light bulb moment of like, oh, nobody wants this right. kind of story. That's correct. Nobody wants it not to work the way that it's supposed to work when this happens. And we just have to embrace and deal with the fact that this is the story. And I still was a gestational carrier. I still did that. It just didn't end up. The story didn't end in the birth of a baby.
1: So what kind of impact did this have on your family? What was the broader impact to everybody else, your husband, your kids? How how were they dealing with all of this through this process?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because my children were not impacted very much. Um, you know, they... We're aware of everything that was going on. We talked to them about everything. They're older, obviously. They are very aware of what's happening. Um, My older children remember what it was like for me to be pregnant when (laughs) when they were younger. Um, and They originally were nervous about this process to begin with. And so I think for them, it was sort of just like, oh, that's not going to happen. Okay. Shoo. We don't have to worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was some months of me being slightly more hormonal and touch and go, but um in terms of the impact that didn't really happen and we had had some conversations where they were like, you know, I was kind of excited to sort of have these like quasi sibling that lived in this other place and have this connection. Um but it their individual like experience of their day and their life didn't really change or wasn't impacted very much. So, And,
0: and I know this is not why you did it at all. You have such a, a giving heart, but kind of a sad, cruel reality of this is that surrogacy compensation, at least how it's generally structured in the United States, is that it doesn't start until confirmation of pregnancy, meaning you're going through all of this Basically, just on your own dime.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of like monthly expenses and they cover some insurance, but yeah, you don't start to get any compensation until the confirmation of the pregnancy. And so, yeah, I went through all of this with almost no compensation at all. And it wasn't that, just like you said, I didn't do this because of the money. But when we went into it and we were making our financial plans for the year, we allotted for that income to be there. And I made some choices about some education that I would, wanted to do and some programs that I wanted to sign up for. And we had allotted for a little bit more to go on credit than we normally do because we knew, we thought, we were planning on this um, money. Being there and coming in. And so when it didn't come, it was, it it had a financial impact. You know, it's not that we were needing it to buy groceries or gas or any of that kind of thing. It was just we were planning on it. So our expectation and how we budgeted had shifted. And so not having it come in was kind of hard. Um, And we're still recovering from that a little bit in terms of, oh, whoops we should not have planned on it being there
0: um knowing all that you've you've been through would would you still have done it if you went back would you have done anything differently
2: it's really hard to say um I think the for me if it was just me I would I you know had somebody who was like oh my gosh, I know somebody who wants to try to do this without through an agency. Would you be willing to do it again? And my initial thought is like, yes, I want to do this. This is why I wanted to do it in the first place. But I'm not the only one who gets to decide. And my husband is struggles with this more than I do. And he's very angry about it. Um, not in any, you know, awful way. But he is frustrated because, you know, going into this process, he wasn't super excited to begin with. He didn't really want to do it, but he trusted me and saw how important it was to me and how much I wanted to do it. And he's always been a support for me and trusting me and my decisions and how I want things to go. So he was sort of like, okay, I'm going to trust you. Um, and he, now communicates how much more objection he had to it than he did through the whole process. And had it ended up with a typical ending to the story of a baby and for the family and it was beautiful and lovely, he probably would have different feelings about it and be like, yes, you were right. This was wonderful. It was beautiful. Now he's just mad that he didn't protect me from all of this, um, experience. He's mad, you know, and anytime I grieve about anything, he, he doesn't want to support my grieving because he's just mad that it has to be there at all.
1: Right. So actually talk about the, the grieving. What, what is it like to mourn for you're, you're double mourning in this case, you're mourning for your experience and the loss because you loved those babies too. You know, you wanted to carry this and it was a very loving thing you did, but you're also mourning for their loss as well. Talk, talk to us about that and how that has felt and been.
2: Yeah. It's a really interesting double mourning. Like you said, it's because on one hand, I'm dealing with the physical repercussions of everything and what that feels like, um, but it's more of a, I've failed, not just the baby, but this couple and this family. And so there's this you know huge sense of failure, which I think is true with anyone who experiences any kind of pregnancy loss, um, but not just failure of not being able to carry but also failure that I've let them down that I'm wasting their money and I'm wasting their embryos and that part is super intense and um, heartbreaking on top of it and what feeling like what do I need to do did I screw up you know was making out with my husband (laughs) too much you know (laughs)
1: right? So were you able to, you know, pursue any therapy or, I mean, did they put some funds aside for you to be able to find outside help while you've been dealing with these feelings?
2: Yeah. So, um, our contract allotted for a thousand dollars worth of money to pay for therapy as needed through the process. And I used all of it. Um, And it was really important to me. And I knew, um, you know, when we were talking about the ending the relationship of surrogacy and talking with the agency and all of those things. And I was like, you know, how does it work now if the contract is ending? And they're like, well, you still can have those funds. And I was like, I'm taking it (laughs) for sure. and they, the, the intended parents were very supportive of that too. They're like, yes, absolutely. We want you to get the support that you need. And I ha- am not someone who uses traditional therapy, talk therapy. I know I've studied psychology too much, that traditional therapy, I just can talk around it and it's not super helpful <laughs> for me. Um, so I used some spirituals. Counseling support um, that really resonates with me. And we did lots of different kinds of healing work that definitely needed to happen. I'm feeling good. I'm still processing the process, you know, talking to you guys is part of that process for me of sharing the story, of letting people know like your story might not be the happy, joyful story you signed up for. And, um, and my body is still in recovery. Um, you know, that was April, late April, early May was when I finally, you know, had the last miscarriage and stopped all of the hormones and everything. And so it's not been even a year. And, um, my body's still adjusting. My period is back to normal, regular cycle. That took a while, but I'm still like, my boobs aren't the same. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask
0: specifically about your boobs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, those, those, the ladies are sensitive to hormone. And so they shifted and changed and I don't know if they'll ever go back. Um, not that they won't continue to change as I get older, but um so there's definitely still impact there and every sort of anniversary still, we're hitting anniversaries and each one sort of is a oh yeah, bummer that that hits.
1: So is there a happy ending at all? You know, do you have something, a lesson learned, something that you can take away that's like a positive?
2: My big positive and lesson is that piece of really understanding what this feels like, what fertility and loss really can feel like. And I understand it on so much of a deeper level. Obviously, I don't understand what not having your own child is like because I have four kids. Um, but I understand what that is. The loss of a pregnancy feels like how devastating that is and the taboo of it and the fear of talking about it and how we don't want to talk about it Um, and really learning to embrace and relate um, to infertility in a totally new way which when I'm, I work with families a lot and a lot of the families I work with have experienced infertility and loss and I can relate to that on a whole new level now.
1: Right. No, absolutely. So we really appreciate your, you know, your raw openness about this.
2: (sighs) Um,
0: Well, we are incredibly grateful that you were willing to to tell this story, even in all of its elements that, that aren't all happy. And, um, I, I appreciate you being really willing to share and, willing to talk very openly about all that you've been through and your feelings and your thoughts on it
2: yeah it's my pleasure and all of you know my supporting of families i think one of the big things for me is the hardest is when we don't talk about the stuff that's hard uh and we pretend that it's not there and then people are left going why didn't anybody tell me
1: that that's an awesome positive so we'll take it
0: that's right thank you patience you're welcome. I feel like we need like a cheerful quote or something to close it out. But any 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 good quotes?
2: Any, any last thoughts? I wish I did. I still have this wonderful relationship with this family that I will probably have forever. I think it's still um, you know, as they're going through their process of of having a baby, I know me being in that, there, I mean we're still in contact. We still talk. Um, I know I will be friends with them forever. So I have that as well, this beautiful friendship with these amazing people. Good note, Anwood. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
0: Lesson of the day for today's interview, I think really is one of empathy for really understanding what it's like to go through infertility. And I think patience is a fascinating story where we think, you know, we can help, we can fix this for you, we can be there. And sometimes those stories don't go the way we want them to. And even when you've got to that next step of someone helping you, still the stories for the couple wanting to be parents as well as those wanting to help them um, can be really difficult, really frustrating and heartbreaking. And I think we, we can all you know do a little bit more to try to, to be more understanding of what others are going through.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I I have I have nothing funny today. I mean, honestly, just just plain out shill. Uh, please come head over to iTunes. And give us a review uh, It does something in the magic matrix Of iTunes and makes them like us more And you know everybody likes to be liked And we especially like to be liked So please head over to iTunes Also if you're interested in continuing this conversation With us and others who are interested In infertility law Or any of these stories surrounding this We would love to see you over on Patreon Go to patreon.com and search for I want to put a baby in you And you will find our group there For a small subscription fee You will be able to join our Slack channel so you can continue talking to others who are interested in the same things and also have access to our bonus content that is only available on patreon.com.
0: And big kudos to Chris Wright at Work at Bird Studios in Denver for providing audio engineering for our podcast. And thanks for joining us.
1: Bye.